0: Good afternoon, one and all. Especially warm welcome to you if you are new here with us today. Hey, listen, I don't know whether you will have noticed or not, but there was something of a significant sporting fixture that happened yesterday. And uh, I thought that it would only be appropriate to pause for a moment of reflection. (laughs) Given that the entire world was watching, and uh, probably it is the case that many of you right now are feeling the pain, because, of course, Luton Town lost 2-1 to Nottingham Forest... (laughs) down at Kenilworth Road. And you'll no doubt be really pleased with me about the fact that Forests were victorious. No, I know, there was another game going on. It's actually ruined my introduction, you know, guys, because my plan was to paint my face like this. And uh, I was thinking maybe wearing the English jersey, we could have got Damien the band to play Swing Low or Jerusalem as I kind of came up. And, you know, maybe the background for my entire presentation this afternoon could have been this. What do you think? I don't know, but it's ruined it. It's all ruined, we lost. But listen, let me take, just take off that slide, take off that slide. But obviously, listen, I genuinely want to say congratulations to all the South Africans amongst us. Well done. I know that our church family has a whole bunch of South Africans. Well done, outstanding game, you played incredibly well. Worthy victors, I must say. And I recognize, though, that there are a number of families where there is a kind of probably split loyalties where one member of the family maybe was born in South Africa, one born in England, what do you do? And even as Philip and I were thinking about it, we're thinking about the Grangers and the Peacocks and the Harveys and the Greens and the Framinghams. And so listen, just for you guys, there might be others who are split families in that regard. We will have a ministry team here at the end of the service. We can also connect you with pastoral support for your marriage if you need it. I know you're probably going through an awful lot of pain right now. Hey, Listen, before we get into our series for this morning, I just want to give you a little bit of a family update. Um, those of you who are part of the church will know that for the last few weeks, what we did is we introduced something of the vision of what we feel like God is calling us to in this season and at this time. Now, part of that theme was all around multiplication. Now, part of the pioneering edge to that will be uh, different for different people. But one particular thing that we've been praying into for the last year or so is about the prospect of the King's Arms having a second sight in the town. Okay? Now importantly, what's uh, needed to be said is that this is very much one church, this is very much one leadership, it's very much a kind of one bank account, it would be very much one culture, one DNA, one shared values, but the prospect, just like we have right now, two unique meetings at 9.30 11.30 would also have two unique sites. Now, the reason I want to update you just now is that we, over this last uh, period of months, we've been chatting to various different places where maybe we could actually have a second venue. And uh, without exaggeration, we've actually connected with more than 20 different places across Bedford, and so far, many of which have been closed doors to us. But we're now in a position where we're very close, so we're finalizing details about the prospect of us having a second site at the university here in Bedford. Now I'm incredibly excited about that, but put it to you open-handedly because of the fact that the things are not complete yet. Okay, and so what I would ask you to do, if you're willing to, is just to pray with me about it, and actually just ask that actually whilst we're not clinging tightly to one particular place, we would cling tightly to God and exactly what He wants for us right now in this season. Okay, and so obviously in the coming weeks and months, we'll be sharing more news and more information, and we'll look for opportunities for all of us to be able to get involved with what God's doing. But I guess wanted to share that news. Does that excite anyone? Yeah. I think it's pretty incredible. Now, if you have specific questions about it, do feel free to come and speak to me, speak to Simon, one of the team, or Sue, and uh, we'd love to share with you about that some more as well. All right, now listen, last week we started a new series where we are looking at the life of the Old Testament prophet called Elijah. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along with me, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17 today. But what we need to do is set a little bit of context for the story with which we are going to look at. And um, what we see is that we are right in the middle of a really broken time in Israel's history, where God's people have basically walked away from him, and they've demanded to have their own earthly kings whom they might be led by. And uh, what happens is that these kings continually let them down, and Israel is split into pieces. Now, at the time where our story picks up, we are being ruled, Israel is being ruled by some nasty people, a king and queen called Ahab and Jezebel. In fact, it says in 1 Kings 16.30 that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any king who went before him. Now, that is a tall order, by the way, if you read anything about any of the kings that went before him. This guy is really not pleasant at all. Now, the nation at this time is worshipping the Canaanite storm god called Baal. And as a consequence now, their crops and their cattle are all dying because of the lack of rain in the nation. And God uses Elijah... As a messenger to go and warn the people against worshipping false gods. To repent and call them back to him and to life being in the land. Okay. Now the big picture though of this message is this. And there are many people right across this room who will need to hear this just now. For those of us who do need it. This is a story and a reminder that there are no places and no situations that are too dead to experience God's resurrection power. Amen. All right, let's read. 1 Kings 17, we're going to do verses 7 to 12 in the first instance. It says this, After a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. And then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. That's a pretty bleak situation. So let's pause for a minute there, okay? So we've been introduced to this lady who is a widow. Now we need to understand that the socioeconomic situation of this lady is at the very lowest it could possibly be. She is dirt poor. It's clear that her husband has died. She's only got one young child, which we'll come across in a moment or two. This means that she is destitute. She owns no land, the reason being is because at that time women were unable to own any land. She wasn't in a position where she could vote, She was um, earning an income was almost impossible for someone in her position. She's dependent on charity. So if you imagine the Old Testament version of the food bank, she's depending on that kind of thing, but she's doing it in a time when people don't have any money, where people can't spare anything because there is a drought and there is a famine. This is a really bleak situation. And she's been in that position for years. She's the lowest of the low. More than that, she's worshipping a false god. She's a pagan. This woman has nothing going for her. But what we're going to see is that God loves her and is reaching out in grace to her. Now, what does this speak to us? No matter what situation you are in this morning, no matter what your background, your circumstance, no matter where you feel like you fit, I want you to know that God can reach into that situation, yeah. that no one is too far from him. This lady or no one else around this room. Now, the reason that we can know that this is a scandal, and we're not going to look at it for too long, but if you went to Luke 4, what you would see is Jesus even referencing this story, how Elijah interacts with this widow. But what's interesting is that when he does, the Pharisees who are listening to him think it's so outrageous. The Bible records that they were furious. They were so mad because why would it be the case that God would reach out to this lady? The Bible actually says that they started planning how they could kill Jesus. They even said It even says they were going to push him off a cliff. You can look it up in Luke 4. But you know, God is a God not of religious rules, but of grace. He's not grading you on how you match up or your spiritual performance. He's not waiting just to make sure that you keep your nose clean and then he can use you. It actually doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been. He's a God who can reach out into the mess. See, no one is excluded. Every single one of you is invited. Some of you have seen uh, this last week a whole bunch of interviews by a, a famous celebrity called Kanye West. Anyone come across those interviews? Now, listen, Kanye West, if you've not heard of him, is a global celebrity, okay? He's married to a lady called Kim Kardashian, and he's known as a songwriter and as a producer, as an entrepreneur, and uh, he's one of the best-selling artists of all time. 140 million records worldwide. Quite a phenomenal platform. He's won 21 Grammys. And to be honest, had you have stopped most people in the street, they would probably say of him, he's known for his arrogance, He's known... Um, for things like his language being very poor, for his views on sex and for his views on violence, for failing morally, he even at one point called himself God. But you know what's interesting is that recently he's released an album called "Jesus Is King," and he's been speaking over these last few weeks about the fact that Jesus has saved him. And these interviews that are going on all over the world right now, millions of people are getting to watch about him sharing about his life, reading the Bible how he wants to give himself to serving Christ, how he wants to honor God, and how he wants to talk about repentance and salvation and his conversion. And he's consistently saying, Jesus is Lord. Now what's interesting is that the internet has gone berserk. And uh, there's people all over the place casting aspersions about, well, what's going on with Kanye? Some of which are positive, some of which are very negative. And people are asking this question, is he really saved? Is this some kind of weird publicity stunt? When is he going to fail? And you know, it's interesting, because you might say to me, well, when is he going to fail? I don't know. Will he fail? I think he will. Do you know why I know that? I fail every day, and so do you. Right. And yet, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that we can celebrate. And so instead of looking out for that, I told you so moment when Kanye fails, actually, it wouldn't be amazing if we just thanked God for the fact that Jesus is being made famous all across the world. Now, some people, though, ask the question, well, is he really saved? And you know what? I don't know. But I don't know if you're saved either. I'll tell you why. Salvation is a gift of God. And only he knows your heart. And you might have been coming here for years and sitting down on a Sunday and reading your Bible diligently, but ultimately, have you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior? That's between you and him. But what I do know is that actually 1 Corinthians 12.3 says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so I'm grateful. Because actually people are celebrating the fact that Jesus is Lord. And that's good news and something we can celebrate. Amen? Let's read a few more verses and not be religious like some of these Pharisees were. All right. 1 Kings 17.13-16 now. Let's pick the verse stories up there. All right. But Elijah said to her, "'Don't be afraid. "'Go ahead and do just what you've said, "'but make a little bread for me first. "'Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself "'and for your son. "'For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, "'There will always be flour and olive oil "'left in your containers "'until the time when the Lord sends rain "'and the crops grow again.'" So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. That's pretty cool, right? Can you imagine it? Just kind of keep replenishing itself? But initially, I bet it didn't seem very cool to her. She's got this foreigner who comes to connect with her, who is very different from her, different background, who is able-bodied, who is a guy, I think that she would have been like, no, this is my final meal before my son and I die. You're not having it. If anything, go and get a job. Bring me some food, right? I think that's what her likely reaction would have been. She's only got enough to make herself and her son a few crackers. When the prophet shows up and says, I would like to eat, her response is different. And you know, faith, I believe, is about obeying God. And here, God is speaking to her through Elijah, and we see what her response is. You can have it. You see, she's generous. She's kind. Almost everything that she has. At the point of God's miraculous intervention, when the flour and the oil begin to increase... Actually, she doesn't know that. All she's doing is being radically obedient to the thing that she's been called to do. And just like the Israelites were fed with manna as they walked in the wilderness, this oil and this flour just keeps on appearing. Do you know, this is important for us because the fact that actually as Christians, we should live supernatural lives, depending every single day in the way that we live on the amazing God who's called us to live in these miraculous ways. So 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. Wow, that's how we're supposed to live. It's not just talk, it's not waffle, it's not hot air, it's power. You know, I was so thrilled to uh, hear Nicky Stanyard talk this week about the fact that in King's Kids, last Sunday, there was a member of the team who had had uh, shoulder problems. I think it was one of the kids who kind of gathered around, prayed for her and completely healed. Isn't that incredible? As a friend of mine who I touch base in this meeting right now, he's had been part of the King's Arms for a couple of months now. And actually, he was prayed for a few weeks ago. He'd had pain in his knee for years. Prayed for him, instantly and completely set free. Isn't that amazing? Oh, this is the power of God that we can walk within. But what's interesting, you see, here in this story is that note that God does not give the widow a huge stockpile. It's not like, right, here's now your complete vat of oil, here's your huge canisters of flour. But what God, I believe, desires of us is that we will live day to day in relationship with God, waiting for Him to provide for every single one of His needs. Matthew 6 says, give us today our daily bread. Now, it's interesting, you know, being a supernatural people. It was a couple of years ago when I was kind of down here at the front, and honestly, it was a bit of a tough time. Things financially were tight. We'd just been through kind of gift days and various things going on. We were having a very busy term. And so I was feeling tired and weary, and there was a lady who was praying for me. And uh, she, she uh, was just praying God's blessing, and she was kind of asking that God would come and speak, and, and, and all these kind of things. And then right at the end of the time of her praying, she was like, And do you know what? God, these guys really need a holiday. Would you give them a holiday? Would they have a, 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 a time where they can go and rest and completely be blessed and, and completely recuperate? And God, I pray that you would do it in the next 14 days. And I said, Yes. I said, amen to that prayer. Wouldn't it be great if we were to be given a holiday within the next 14 days? Come on now. And I was all excited. And, um, you know, I diligently wrote it down and we were kind of waiting expectantly. And, you know, what's going to happen? And 14 days came and went. I thought, what happened? Did we miss it? Until we got a letter through a couple of days later. And the letter was from the student loans company. And it turned out that I'd been overpaying my student loan. And it was for 800 pounds. You know, the coolest bit is it was dated on the day that she prayed was 14 days later. It's exactly the time frame that he wanted to do it. You know, and it's interesting, even as I was thinking through whether to share that story or not, I was like, oh, but there's people across the room who, who maybe really do need a breakthrough right now, and they're in desperate need of provision. And I was thinking, do I need to retreat back and not celebrate that kind of story? And I thought, you know what, but that's just God's character. He is good and he is lavish. And and I want to stand, and today I want to pray for you guys if you are in need of provision. Just as as this lady was, I want to pray that God would provide for every single one of your needs, no matter whether it's financial or emotional or anything else. Because we sometimes do need breakthroughs like that, don't we? It's interesting that Elijah's request to the widow is outrageous. We mustn't shy away, though, I've been thinking, from calling people to obey the Lord with lavish obedience. And we must not attempt to talk them out of it. So I remember there was a guy who I was inputting for a while. His name was Chris. And uh, he was telling me about an afternoon that he'd kind of gone out. And he'd seen um, a homeless guy with no shoes on his feet. And he'd taken his shoes off, and he'd given his trainers away to this guy who was on the street. All that was going through my head was, that that's ridiculous. Like What about your feet? Surely you were cold and you were wet and you were uncomfortable for the rest of the day. And then I just felt provoked by the fact that what a beautiful demonstration of someone's lavish generosity. And the fact that frankly, God had told him to do that. And who am I to get in the way of that? Honestly, some of you guys came here this morning and the one thing you need to hear is that God wants you to be radically obedient. Maybe that's it. Maybe you can switch off and just think about the thing that he's been speaking to you about, and now you need to go and do. There's a beautiful story of radical obedience that I heard on Wednesday night. There's an amazing older couple in this community who are leading a group called The Well. And I was listening to Linda share about something that happened last year. Group life is the way that our church connects in terms of relationships and family and reaches out together. And she was sharing with me that when she used to work in an uh, an elderly people's home, and uh, there was one particular lady named Pat, and um, she had been uh, sharing in one of the communal areas all about the fact that she used to be a Sunday school teacher. Now, my friend Linda is pricked up at this because she loves talking about Jesus everywhere she gets the opportunity. And so she went and sat down with this lady and started talking. But it was clear that whilst she was involved in those kind of things, she just didn't know about having a personal relationship with Jesus. She didn't know what salvation was. And so she got to share all about how God's been good in her life. And the following week, she came along to the group that we have called the Well, and she listened as somebody shared the gospel, shared the good news of Jesus, and then gave people the opportunity to respond to him. She was someone who that day gave her life to Christ. But you know, the crazy thing is that my friend Linda took her back to the home, and that night she went to bed, and she died in her sleep. Linda didn't get to see her again. But you know, It just got me thinking, man, the power of our conversations, the power of that individual personally moment, that personal moment of her obedience, meant that actually her eternity was changed. And she fell asleep to rest in the arms of a good father, peacefully at night. Isn't that incredible? Your conversations matter. Let's carry on reading these last few verses in 1 Kings 17, 17 to 24 this time. Sometime later, the the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, Give me your son. And he took the child's body in from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and he laid the body on his bed. And then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. And then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Wow. See, what a desperate situation for this widow. Her son died. I've got a two-year-old, a five-year-old, and a six-year-old, and I, I honestly can't imagine and wouldn't want to imagine the pain of what it must feel like to lose someone you love so much. And it's all she's got. She's got no affluence, no husband. It's this little boy. But she asks this question, which I understand just getting to know the God of the Bible. She says, have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? She's not denying that she hasn't sinned, interestingly. But she's saying, is this the reason why? Now, the answer, guys, is that not everything that happens to you is God punishing you. You see, God corrects us, and at times he disciplines us. But if we are in Christ, he does not punish us. He punished Jesus in our place and for our sins. So that punishment has already been taken care of. Some people need to hear this verse in John three seventeen, where it says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now, Elijah grabs the boy and he runs upstairs. Now, he's the professor, okay? He's the expert. He's the one who seems to have all the degrees and all the qualifications. He's the one who knows God best. He's the prophet. He's the one who's graduated with top marks. And what does he do? He asks the same question. <laughs> Isn't that Interesting. What he doesn't do is say, How dare you? I can't believe that you've done this. And you know what? I think that's a good lesson for us. It's okay to ask God what's going on. I don't understand. I'm confused. This situation I've found myself in, help me to get your perspective on it. That's a good thing. See, it's different from accusing God, this is inquiring of Him. The amazing thing is we see in verse 22, it says, "The Lord heard Elijah's prayer. Why do we talk to God? Because He listens. Because He's alive. You know, ever since I've been a Christian, it's been this amazing journey of not just connecting with God relationally, which is an incredible thing. He edifies me every time I speak to Him. But the amazing thing is that when I speak to God, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. Have ever found that? He responds. Let me give you an illustration from recently. In the start of the summer, we put our house on the market. We thought, okay, maybe this is an opportunity to to, to move and find somewhere that's more appropriate for us in the next season that we're in. And it'd been on the market, and there'd been a little bit of interest, there'd been a couple of offers, but they were all way below what we could possibly accept. So there was one particular uh, morning at the back end of the summer when I thought, you know what, I'm going to give my kids the opportunity of coming down and spending some time with Jesus with me. Now, all it was was that as soon as their clock was able to hit, hit seven o'clock, they can come down. But this is not play time. This is not even getting dress time. This is, you're gonna, if you want to come down for that extra half an hour before your alarm goes off, then actually we're going to sit and we're going to read the Bible. We're going to worship together and we're going to pray. All right? Dead simple. And it was nothing to do with the house move. It was just the fact that I wanted to connect with them with Jesus. And so we did. We came down and we had this beautiful time and we sang some songs and we looked at our Bibles together, the baby Bibles and the youth Bibles and a bit of my Bible. And we talked about it and we prayed. And we prayed that God would be part of this whole process and that actually he would, he would uh, get speed up this process and that we would sell the house. Do you know what? Three hours later, we got the phone call to say that there'd been another offer on the house. Two hours after that, they'd offered the full price. I'm like, why did I not do this sooner? <laughs> but of course, that wasn't the point. Because actually, just God just loves to respond to childlike faith. And we got to relationally connect, and they got to have an amazing story about how their father in heaven listens to them. Let me tell you about another another amazing couple who are part of this church. Now, I'm going to avoid names because of the delicate situation of the story, but there's an older couple in the church who are trustees of a charity sending pastors into India, and particularly very rough, dangerous places in that nation. And they got an email recently from the charity saying, look, there's one particular pastor who's gone in in a very dangerous situation, and he's... Basically been attacked by 70 other men. He's been beaten badly. And would you pray for him? Now these guys are in Bedford. But they begin to pray. And a short while later they got a follow-up message. And the message said that these 70 men had tried to track him down again. And they found him. But this time, not to beat him, they came to apologize. You see, God hears. God hears and responds. And from Bedford to India, miraculous things can happen. This is why we pray. What's interesting is that Elijah doesn't get angry, but he also doesn't just accept it. Did you notice that? It's a way of him handling reality. Don't get angry with God, but let's pray and trust him. Because he's a God of grace, but he's also someone with whom we can find comfort in the midst of every challenge we're going to face. You see, there are going to be times in your life when you'll be stood right in the middle of a deep mystery. You're not going to understand. But actually, our call as a church family is to stand in the gap and to seek God in every one of those times. Now listen, I want to share a story with you. But you'll understand as I share it, the reason why I wanted to make sure that you knew that I got permission from them to be able to share this story. Because there's an amazing couple in this church called Steve and Rowena and I've had the privilege over a number of years now to get to know them and Steve when he came into this church uh, wasn't a believer but he's kind of come through uh, various different things Came through Alpha and Beta he kind of serves here and his 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 wife and here very much connected they were part of a group that we led for for many months and they're a quality couple but I know that since they got married they were aware of a situation where medically speaking they were unable to have children And uh, they saw various consultants and different people, and they were told, you cannot have kids. But they wanted to hold on to God, and they wanted to pray that this would be possible. And then they were here at a conference that we were running, and someone had the opportunity of prophesying over them, not knowing anything of their situation, and just said, you know, I feel like there's going to be twins in your future. And again, their ears and hearts pricked up, thinking, God, if this is from you, may it be. Do you know, it wasn't that long later till they conceived and fell pregnant. This is a picture of their two kids, two daughters. <laughs> now, obviously, Steve and Wenner were thrilled, so excited about the fact that these two girls were going to come into their lives. But around about the halfway mark in the pregnancy, they were told that their daughters, who were now named Ariel and Gwen, both their lives were in danger and that they um, were at risk of, of not making it through to full term and that surgeons wanted to operate so they might stand the very best chance of being able to survive. So the surgery went on and, you know, as a church family, those who knew them and loved them, on many occasions I kind of joined with, Rosanna and, uh, with Rowena and Steve and, and we prayed. And we prayed and we stood with them and we kind of held their hands and we tried to give as much comfort as we could. And whilst we did everything that we could medically and everything that we did in prayer, one of those two sisters sadly died. And in September, Gwen was born and Ariel was born sleeping. And just on Friday, just gone, we took a moment to have a funeral service and we buried their little girl. And... um, I wanted to share some of Rowena's words in the midst of all they've been going through. She said, they are no less a miracle from God just because one is already in his arms. No, this is not the end. No matter what grief we feel, how much we could have stayed, how much we wish you could have stayed, we remember we praise a mighty God who through his sacrifice of his son means that we will see our girl again in heaven. And I had the opportunity of holding Gwen and giving thanks for her, this little girl who was precious and healthy, who I prayed for on many occasions. And you know what? I was so proud of them. I was so proud of them as they stood before Almighty God and gave thanks for their daughter. Even as they said goodbye to her, they cried, but they prayed and they trusted him. Yeah. And even in the midst of it all, they held on to hope, yeah. and they realised there was something bigger and something greater. Why did it happen? Honestly, I don't know. But you know what I do know, and praise God, what Stephen Rowena know, is that Jesus defeated death. And because he did, we can trust in the promise that we too can rise to eternal life. You see, this world right now that we're living in is broken. But Jesus is the hero. This little boy that we see through the story of Elijah, he gave us a foretaste of the resurrection that was to come. Because now that Jesus is alive, everything changes. So we're going to land with this final verse. And what I want to do is I want to invite you to stand with me for a moment. Right across the room, let's stand together. Because this is what Jesus says John eleven twenty five. 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And do you know, today, there'll be people across this room who think, do you know, I don't know the, the life that you're talking about. I don't know this salvation that you're talking about. I don't know this forgiveness. And I want you to. I want you to know that security. And so I want to give you an opportunity of putting your trust in Him right now. So listen, just for a moment, I want to ask everyone across the room to close their eyes. And I want to pray a prayer. And This prayer is simply an opportunity for you to put your trust in Jesus. There's nothing magic about it unless you mean it from your heart. And then trust that the Lord hears. And His promise is that you can be adopted into his family. You can pray this with me right now. Lord Jesus, I come to you knowing that I have sinned but asking for your forgiveness. I choose today to say thank you for the finished work of the cross and that you defeated death And I now put my trust in you. Come by your Holy Spirit into my life. Guide me and lead me as I put my trust in you. In Jesus' name.